0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 58, starting in verse six through 12, and I'll be reading out of the Common English Bible. Isn't this the fast I choose, releasing wicked restraints, untying the ropes of a yoke, setting free the mistreated and breaking every yoke? Isn't it sharing your bread with the hungry and bringing the homeless poor into your house, covering the naked when you see them and not hiding from your own family? Then your light will break out like the dawn, and you will be healed quickly. Your own righteousness will walk before you, and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and God will say, I'm here. If you remove the yoke from among you, the finger pointing, the wicked speech, if you open your heart to the hungry and provide abundantly for those who are afflicted, your light will shine in the darkness, and your gloom will be like the noon. The Lord will guide you continually and provide for you even in parched places. He will rescue your bones, and you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water that won't run dry. They will rebuild ancient ruins on your account. The foundations of generations past you will restore. You will be called mender of broken walls, restorer of livable streets. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: So it just struck me, knowing as well as I do the kind of people who worship at a United Methodist Church, I want to make this very clear. Please do not bring me powdered sugar donuts. I say that because the first church I ever served, I said something about, do you remember, this will date two. do you remember the 64 pack of crayons with the sharpener in the back? I used as an illustration that I had never had one of those when I was little. So the next Sunday morning, I got to the church, and there was one sitting in the pulpit. So to double down, I said, I've never had a Mercedes Benz. (laughs) And there was one of those waiting for me in the pulpit. A Matchbox. Mercedes Benz. So with my reference to white powdered sugar donuts, I am not asking for powdered sugar donuts. In fact, I beg you, I implore you, I, King James, beseech you, do not bring me powdered sugar donuts. Although if you get them to me before this afternoon, then I'll bring them at 6 a.m. for men's Bible study, and I'll make all those guys eat them. So, you know, we can make this work. So, please pray with me. God, may these people not be given to reverse psychology and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight because you, God, are our strength and our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as I said at least once, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. For example, you've heard of deep fake technology, haven't you? It's a It's like Photoshop for video. We now have the technology, by we, I don't mean me, but we have the technology now to make videos of actual people that look and sound like they're saying and doing things that that person never did, but the video seems accurate. You might be able to think of some ways this could go wrong. If you can't, I'll share one with you. There was a mom in Hilltown Township, Pennsylvania, who allegedly created deep fake videos of her daughter's cheerleading rivals and sent them to the coach to get those girls kicked off the team. But see, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. You remember when it was a thing to get oranges for Christmas? Because there was a time that it was hard to get oranges everywhere in the country in the Christmas season. Now you can get pretty much any fresh produce, not just any time of year, but 24 hours a day. I love that I can get avocados year round. We used to count on my uncle who had an avocado grove in Southern California to send us avocados whenever they were in season. Because back then I knew there was a season for avocados. And I think the pandemic has actually made this worse. Because we've learned more than ever before that we can shop from our homes or really from our phones. So the great advantage of that is you can grab your phone, enter almost anything you want, swipe, sort, whatever, and it's on your way to your house. So what stops you from shopping all the time? Maybe your bank account. Maybe your credit limit. Because just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Maybe your financial resources stop you. Either you literally can't afford it, or you've learned to set a lower credit limit for yourself than that credit card company wants to give you. And maybe the law stops you. Maybe knowing something is illegal stops you from doing it. However, I don't think it's just the law, because I would bet every licensed driver in this room has broken the speed limit whether or not you've ever been ticketed or even stopped. So it might not be just the law that stops us from doing things. Maybe maybe it's the threat or fear of being caught. Sometimes the fear of being caught stops us, which I think was the the thought of the lament of one of my former ki- former students from uh, from Methodist Children's Home. Some of my kids from then, are in their early 30s now, and I'm connected with some of them on social media, and this one lamented a few weeks ago, is there in the land a man who can trust his woman with his phone? And I shared with no sense of any kind of availability that yeah, I trust Rachel with my phone. In fact, we have the same lock patterns on our screens She has Gmail, my Gmail account, on her phone so she can keep up with my calendar because it turns out I'm not the most reliable source as to whether I have availability on my calendar. And I usually argue against focusing on how much the world has changed because I hear people, it seems like a lot, cacophonously wishing we could go back to some former time. We can't go back. And I also find that, that memories that people have of going back to any, any time in the past, so pick your time, are really more nostalgia than memory. For example, and I hope we're far enough removed from this now, we don't hear it as much, but I've heard in my lifetime a lot of wishing we could go back to the 50s. And I'm not sure what it is about the 50s you want to go back to, because the top marginal tax rate of the 50s was at least 90%. And in Texas, white kids and black kids couldn't even go to the same schools. And I've heard a lot of people talk about how harsh their parents were in the sense that maybe we need more of that now. I've heard people a generation younger than myself talk about how harshly they were raised and we need more of that now, which is funny because, man, I heard old people saying that 50 years ago too. But in other conversations, given enough time, these same people will often wonder aloud if maybe they were a little too rough on their kids because maybe their adult kids now won't have much to do with them. Because we parents of adults sometimes wonder and sometimes just hurt over what it is that keeps our kids out of our lives. I mean, there might be something about pick the time in the past that you want to pick that you'd like to recover, but we're living In 2021, we're worshiping God in 2021. And the calendar, no matter how hard we pray, see last week, is not going to start rolling backwards. And we don't really want it to, do we? I mean, there is something good about remembering at nine o'clock at night that your niece has a birthday and within 30 minutes, you found something for your niece and it's on its way and it might even get there tomorrow. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And can we all agree that this is even more of a challenge now than it ever used to be? So what are we going to do about that? Fasting, I submit, is the best way to tame the inner give me what I want when I want it voice that we all have inside us whether that voice is constantly peppering you with requests for white powdered sugar donuts, or a little more time online, or whatever. Fasting isn't just about food. It isn't even really actually about food. Fasting is about preparing inwardly for receiving the necessary strength and grace to complete a mission of faithful service, a life of faithful service in God's name. Fasting is about our recognizing our limits, admitting to ourselves that just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. Because when we live without limits, we cannot recognize God as God. When we live without limits, we cannot recognize and live with God being our God. Now, I'm not saying that God is all about limits. Because God is all about freedom. But freedom requires limits. When I was aging out of elementary school, there was a move in our country to get rid of the fences around playgrounds, man. Because they just make fit, kids feel fenced in. And we want to be about freedom. And so they started taking fences off of elementary school playgrounds. And they found that the, when they took fences off of playgrounds, The kids would huddle closer to the building and closer to the center of the playground. So boundaries are essential for us living our lives freely. And when we establish boundaries for our lives, we find that we have more freedom, not less. God sets limits for us because we are finite beings, and finite means boundaries and limits. Finite is one way of saying you got boundaries and limits. So we, we do well to remember that the, the boundaries and limits that God sets for us are set for our own good, not to punish us. You remember, this whole God's people thing started with slaves crying out for freedom and God delivering them, and after they're well on their way to the promised land, then God gives them boundaries and limits in the form of the Ten Commandments and quite a few other commands as well. But God is not a God who says, okay, do this, then I'll free you, then I'll deliver you. God's limits help us to be fully human. They don't infringe upon what it means to be human. So if there are boundaries that you or I are pushing up against, and they're God's boundaries, then we do well to have a conversation with God about what those boundaries mean for being human. But we live in a world that believes, or is at least seriously tempted to believe, that we can do anything, that we can have anything. I mean, if you have enough land or just money for self-storage lockers, you can just keep acquiring stuff without end. But just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something. So Marjorie Thompson, in a book, titled Soul Feast, that's uh, a lot of source material for this series, says that all life that recognizes no limits cannot recognize the sovereignty of God. So a life that recognizes no limits cannot recognize God's sovereignty. The way I've been trying to say this since it just accidentally snuck out of my mouth about 10 years ago is, if I'm in control, God isn't. I invite you to consider... That only, say it first person. I'm not saying that I should be in control of you. If I'm in control, God isn't. So, even though fasting historically is about food, it's not just about food. It's, food is, is something that we tend to partake in and need every day. So it's something that we all share that we can focus on limiting so that we recognize that we have limits and thus make space in our lives for God. So in ancient Israel... Fasting served two purposes. One, it was a sign of contrition and repentance. If somebody or the nation recognized that they had walked away from or ignored or simply turned their backs on God, they would declare a fast to help get their focus back on this God who had saved and redeemed and delivered them. I mean, you remember when you were younger anyway, how much easier it was to say, I'm sorry, than to mean it? Am I the only kid who had siblings who would be told sometimes, say you're sorry to your brother? And then I'd say it, and then my fill-in the parent would say, well, it doesn't sound like you mean it. I'm the only one. Okay, awesome. The second purpose for fasting the ancient Israelites, serve the ancient Israelites, and honestly, every religious tradition in the world ever, was to prepare inwardly to receive the necessary strength and grace to complete a mission of faithful service to which God is calling us. So fasting limits ourselves so that we can allow God to direct and guide us. Practicing controlling our reliance on the intake of food helps us get the strength necessary to live as though we're following God. I mean, I confess, sometimes it's hard for me. It's hardest for me in the afternoons. If I'm in my office in the afternoon, no matter how much lunch I ate, at about 3, my entire body tells me I better eat something. And at that point, my body wants nothing to do with fruit or anything healthy. And sometimes, because I'm an American adult and there are no limits on me, I partake. And then I feel horrible, not, not just horrible guilty because I failed again to make it from lunch until dinner without eating, but I feel horrible because filling my gut with processed food in the middle of the day does nothing for creativity or energy. So an afternoon fast, if that's a challenge for you, is a great place to start. And with practice, it gets easier. Hence, our series is Practicing Easter. Because we can talk all day, we can talk for six weeks about all these practices that Christians do. But if we don't do them, and if we don't practice them, we will never find ourselves moving more and more into a place that we can access what God really has for us. So there are all kinds of fasts that you can do. Traditionally, um, one limits food maybe to nothing but water. I do not recommend, and medical authorities don't recommend, that you fast from all food and water for a very long period of time. So limit food. You can also fast by limiting some kind of foods, like no junk foods in the afternoon. Good place to start. Health experts say don't start with more than a 24-hour fast. If necessary, please check with your doctor, because some people need to be taking in nutrients on a regular basis. God is not telling you to ignore your doctor's advice, and please don't make a contest out of it. I mean, we read about that in Matthew chapter six, where Jesus is talking to his disciples about fasting, and he says, "Don't, don't, don't fast like some of the religious professionals of his day who would go out." into public and look like they were so weak they're about to fall down to make a show of how faithful they are because they're fasting. Jesus said, no, put put some oil on your hair, which I, I think was a thing back then, and go out and, and look healthy because our fasting is not to deprive us of life, it's to help connect us to God. Which is why we read, why Julia read Isaiah 58 passage because Isaiah presents this beautiful vision Of the kind of fasting that God wants God's people to do. The kind of fasting that connects us with what God has for us. Not the kind of fasting that people look at us and say, Wow, you must be super spiritual because you look like you're about to fall over dead physically. I preached about fasting once several years ago. And somebody came up to me after the service and talked about all these times that that they had fasted so much it led to hallucinations. My goal is not to get you to fast to the point of hallucinating. My goal is to invite you into the conversation of just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. And fasting, setting limits on a regular thing like eating, is something that we can do to help us remember that just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. And historically, missing a meal or two or fasting for 24 hours. John Wesley did it this way. John Wesley taught um, typically fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays, in which there was no eating from when one got up in the morning until after sunset, or at least dinner time. I invite you to consider practicing that one day a week to start with. And when you're giving up that meal, give God some of that time and focus, because you're limiting your own say about what happens in your life to give God space. So, invite God into your presence when you fast. Because just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And fasting is this millennia old practice that helps us identify what we should and shouldn't do. Please pray with me. God, we give ourselves to you this morning as every day. We're grateful that you have loved us with an everlasting love. We're grateful that Jesus came to teach us how to live fully in your presence and that he died to take the load and the weight and the debt of our sins from our shoulders. So God, we invite you into our presence and invite you to lead us in ways that we learn to limit ourselves because as we limit ourselves god we make us more available to you and your grace god as we begin to practice fasting we may not treat other people well when we've missed a meal that our body is expecting so we pray that your grace would lead us as we practice fasting to treat with love and respect those around us in the world, as we learn this centuries-old practice of limiting ourselves so that we can live in your presence and have more of you in our presence. So we give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.